It's good to see you today. Thank you for choosing to worship God with us here at St. Mark's. Uh, we're in the second week of a sermon series that I've entitled Intervention. And we're looking at some of the ways uh, that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit intervene into the lives of God's people. And today our passage of Scripture is this passage from Luke chapter 8. And the title of the sermon is A Change of Heart. A Change of Heart. You know, one of the things I love about reading Scripture is that you can open up the Bible and you can read a story that you've read or you've heard dozens if not hundreds of times before and yet when you read it the next time, it's like there's something new there, something that you didn't see before, some connection that you'd never made before that just jumps off the page at you. And, and that happened to me as I was preparing to preach the sermon on the passage of Scripture that you've heard read today. As I was studying that Scripture, it occurred to me that it might be helpful if I would go back and read what had happened just before this passage of Scripture in Luke's Gospel to see if there might be something there that helped me to understand today's passage in a better way. And it did. The story that happens just before the one that we read today is about Jesus and his disciples getting into a boat to go across the Sea of Galilee. And if you've never heard this story, you might be thinking, well, it's just Jesus wanting to give them a nice, comfortable, moonlit cruise across the sea. And yet that's not what happens. We're told that as soon as Jesus and the disciples get into the... Oh, and then there was light. Uh, we're told that as soon as Jesus and the disciples get into the boat, that a storm arose. It was so ferocious and so fearful that the disciples that were on board that boat actually feared for their lives. They even went to Jesus and said, Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? They were asking Jesus, if you can and if you will, will you please intervene in the midst of this storm? And this reminded me of my first and only deep sea fishing experience. Now, it's Father's Day, and I'm remembering my dad today, and my dad loved the water. And so ever since we were old enough to get into a boat and put on a life jacket, my dad had us in the waters of Middle Tennessee and North Alabama riding boats. To this day, I love to ride boats. I, I often dream about what it would be like to have one. I've been on cruise ships, and I've loved every single one of them and every single experience that I had. But when I went deep sea fishing for the first and only time, let me just see if I can put this politely, I fed more fish than I caught. <laughs> it was not a good experience. In fact, I have a picture that I'd like for them to show you back here. This is the, 
This is the only picture that my so-called friends took that day that I feel comfortable showing in front of the gathered assembly on a Sunday morning in worship. But if you look at that picture, you can imagine my prayer in that moment. And the prayer was, sweet Lord Jesus, take me home. And I literally meant my eternal home. I felt so sick. It was awful. I remember when we finally got back to shore. All I wanted to do was to get off the ship that had been rocking and the waves that had been crashing and curl up in a little ball on dry land and just sort of catch my bearings. And I remember my friends coming up and they were trying to get me up off of the ground to put me in the car to take me back to the hotel room. And I remember saying to them, just leave me here. I'll be fine or I won't, <laughs> but just leave me here. I thought about that passage of Scripture when you think about these disciples and Jesus getting off of this boat after this ferocious and this fearful storm. They had asked Jesus to intervene, and, and good for them, not so good for me. Uh, Jesus actually did intervene. Jesus calm the storm. And, and if those disciples were anything like me, once they got off of that boat that had been rocking and out of those waves that had been crashing, all they really wanted to do is to curl up in a little ball and just catch their breath, get their legs back underneath them, uh, get it to the point where they didn't feel so violently ill. And yet, as soon as these disciples get off of that boat that had been rocking and rolling on the Sea of Galilee all night long, here comes a naked man. Just when you think it can't get any worse, friends. Yeah, all they wanted to do is just get off the boat and just kind of catch themselves, and all of a sudden this naked man comes running out of the tomb. We don't know much about the guy. We don't know how or why he ended up that way. We're just told that he didn't have on any clothes, that he was possessed by many demons, and that he came out of the graveyard. That's not exactly the Chamber of Commerce greeting that the disciples wanted after a long night and a sick night on the boat. And this man comes out to them and it's interestingly enough, he says to Jesus, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the living God? It's interesting to me that this man uh, said that to uh, Jesus, that this man somehow, despite being naked, despite being possessed by demons, despite being in a graveyard, he knew who Jesus was. While the disciples who had been on the boat with Jesus, scared for their very lives, afraid that they were going to die, wondering if Jesus was going to intervene, afraid that they were perishing in that moment, when Jesus calms the storm, they look at him and say, who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
And yet we discover that this demonized man knows exactly who Jesus is. Well, that's not unusual in Scripture. It's often the case that people that you wouldn't think would know and understand who Jesus is are the ones who actually do know and understand Jesus. And it's the people that you would think would know and understand who Jesus is is sitting around saying, who is this guy? I, I, don't, I don't even know what's going on here. And then uh, Jesus uh, said, this guy says, son of the living God, a son of the most high God. And you might be thinking, well, isn't that sweet? This demon-possessed man just in worshipful awe of Jesus. But that's not why he said that. We're told that he said he was afraid that Jesus might torment him. He was worried not about worshiping God, but he was worried about being destroyed by Jesus. And then Jesus asked him his name. Scholars believe that the voice that answered Jesus' question was not the voice of the man himself, but the, the voice of the demons that had possessed the man. And they said, Legion. Now, uh, you might be surprised to know, but Legion did not make the final list for me and Hillary when we were thinking about what to name our child, especially if it had become, a, if it were going to be a boy. Now, for some of you, Legion might be a perfectly acceptable name. You Alabama Crimson Tide fans in our midst, uh, you might want to name your child Legion because of all those great games that you witnessed in Birmingham and Legion Field. And since your head coach's name is Saban, which is one letter off for Satan, you know, this evil... <laughs> I mean, I could see how you might want to name your child Legion. Okay, I probably should have waited till after the offering to make fun of the Alabama fans. But hey, Alabama fans, my team did beat your major arch rival Auburn yesterday in a baseball game, 5-1. to one. Okay, I probably shouldn't be dogging the Auburn fans now, right, either. Well, at least your team made the World Series, Auburn. <laughs> oh, see? Yeah, maybe I should better just shut up and move on with the sermon, right? Uh, I've offended almost every SEC team now. But... Uh, um, so, legion, however, is, we get some insight into what it is. A legion was a group of five to 6,000 soldiers in a Roman military unit. And so, it's interesting that this, these demons call themselves by the name of legion because what it seems to suggest is that there were a lot of voices in this guy's head. There were a lot of voices swirling around. And, and maybe this man had even reached the point where he'd lost his own identity because of all the voices that were in his head. And even though there are a lot of voices, even though there are a lot of unclean spirits inside this man's mind, even though it appears as if Jesus is outnumbered by these spirits, Jesus is not outmatched. 
Jesus intervenes into this man's life and he calls and commands those spirits to come out of the man and then he permits those spirits to go into a herd of swine that are grazing there on the hillside and then the next thing you know the spirits have entered this group of pigs and those pigs have run off the side of the cliff and into the water where they drowned. Now, my mama was a teetotaler. She didn't believe in drinking, and she didn't believe that anybody ought to drink, including her own family. And as I got older and went to seminary and got a little bolder, you know, I would say to my mama, well, Jesus turned water into wine, mama. And it was a lot of wine, too. And my mama would say somewhat seriously, and I've thought less of Jesus ever since. You know, there were some folks that thought less of Jesus about what happened to these pigs, too. You know, they can't believe that Jesus would somehow allow all of these unclean spirits to go in all of these pigs and then plummet to their death in the water below. They think a lot less of Jesus now. And yet it doesn't say that Jesus sent the pig, the spirits into the pig. It just says that he permitted it. And if we're trying to figure out, well, why in the world would Jesus do that? Maybe Jesus realizes that you and I know that seeing is believing. And we needed a vivid and visual demonstration that Jesus had, in fact, intervened into this man's life. And that the spirits that had much more often consumed his body, had now visibly left him and gone into those pigs and into the sea below. And then we're told that the next thing that happens is that this once naked man is now clothed. And this once man who was possessed by evil spirits is now in his right mind. And this once... This man who once had spent time hanging out in the graveyard is now kneeling at the feet of Jesus. It's the same position that the woman uh, took when she anointed Jesus' feet with an expensive bottle of perfume and how she then took her hair and dried his feet with them. It's the same position Uh, that a woman named Mary took when she sat at the feet of Jesus, hanging on every word as he taught them about the good news of God's love. It's the same position that Jairus took when he fell at the feet of Jesus and he begged Jesus to come and to help his dying daughter. It's the same position that the one grateful leper took when after ten of them had been healed, one of them came back, fell at the feet of Jesus, and glorified and expressed gratitude to God for the healing that had taken place. This once possessed man is now at the feet of Jesus in the position of a disciple. That's how much his life has been changed. And then this man 
says to Jesus, I want to go with you. Wherever you go, I want to go. Maybe he wanted to go with Jesus because he wanted a new adventure. Maybe he wanted to go to Jesus because he didn't want to have to go back home and and face the people uh, that he had left behind when he had been cast out because of his demon possession. Uh, Maybe he just didn't know what to do with himself. Maybe he just wanted to start a new chapter, but he wanted to go with Jesus and Jesus helped him to understand that even though I've intervened in your life even though I have given you a new life even though I have given you a change of heart I am not ready to give you a change of scenery you might have expected Jesus to say to them what he'd said to many of the other disciples, come and follow me, come and go. But when he asked if he could come, instead of saying, yes, come, Jesus said, no, go back. I want you to go back to the people that know you the best. I want you to go back to the people who've seen you at your worst. And I want you to tell them what God has done for you. I wonder, in a room this size, are there people here this morning that have had one of those moments where God intervened into your life? Gave you a new life or a new hope, or gave you a change of heart. And I wonder if after this intervention, what God would love for you more than anything else was that you would share that experience of God's intervention with others so that they might be able to see what God has done for you. And that's why this morning we're going to do something a little different. Hopefully there at the end of the pews, you see these little white cards. I put them on both sides of the pews, so there should be enough for you there. But what I would like for you to do as Dr. Min begins to play uh, for us is just to take a few minutes. And I'd like for you to write your name on that card if you're willing to write your name on that card, if you don't mind me seeing what you're going to write. But you can wait until I tell you what I want you to write before you decide whether you put your name on there. I understand. But I wonder, are there people within the sound of my voice this morning that have an experience in your life where you believe without a shadow of a doubt that God intervened on your behalf? Where, where God uh, did something to give you new life, new hope, changed your heart. And I wonder if you would just briefly describe what that intervention was. It's okay if nobody else believes you. <laughs> nobody else will ever be able to take that away from you. You're convinced that God did this that God did something in your life. 
And the reason why I want you to write that today before you leave is because I know if I gave it to you as a homework assignment, as soon as you walked out of this room, you'd forget all about it. And you wouldn't take the time to do it. So would you just write down in a brief way, here's how I believe God intervened in my life. And then what I would like for you to write is who is one person that I could go share that story with? Who is someone that I could go take this testimony and hopefully change their heart or their life? Now, I also realize in a room this size that there are some of us here today that said, you know, I'm not sure God's ever intervened in my life. I can't think of a single moment that I would attribute to God intervening. So here's what I would like for you to write on your card, and here's why you may not want to add your name to it. Is that I would like for you to write on your card what is an area of your life where you'd like to see the intervention of God. And then I would like for you to just pray that maybe you're the person that somebody else writes down that they want to go share their story of God's intervening grace and love. So I'm going to give you a few minutes to do that. How has God intervened in your life? And if not, how would you like for God to intervene? And who's maybe that one person that I want to go and share this story with. And when you're done, I would invite you to bring those and just turn them face down and put them here on the altar. Or if you'd rather walk to the back, you can drop them into what used to be our offering uh, uh, boxes. But I would invite you to do that. Thank you for entertaining this uh, request, this invitation. And I have other uh, cards. If nobody got one, I bet you guys didn't. Anybody else need one out there?
if you didn't get finished, um, if nothing came to mind, you take that home with you and or you finish it between now and the end of the service. But my prayer is that today is the beginning of our change of heart, our new life. Um, it doesn't require a change of scenery. It's just uh, an expectation, a prayer that God would intervene.